I just I, I just like books. <laughs> just put, put put that under the the intro section, Michael. I just like books. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to the 10th episode of the Audiobook Club podcast. My name is Jonathan and I'll be hosting today's episode and I'm of course joined by Michael and Stephen. Guys, do you want to say hello? Hello. Hi. And so in this episode, um, we'll be covering All Quiet on the Western Front, written by Eric Maria Remark and read by Tom Lawrence. So, um, just to give a brief summary of what this book is about, um, this book is an anti-war novel and was first published in 1928 by the World War I veteran Eric Maria Remarque. Um, it centres on a small group of German soldiers and their terrifying experiences in the trenches during World War I, and it's primarily concerned with the effect of war on young men. Um, so um, Eric Maria and Mark himself was um, a soldier in World War One. so I think it's kind of him uh, reliving his experiences through this book. Um, so why did I choose this book? Um, so this book, um, I've mentioned before, I um, have a, a love for history, um, particularly when there's warfare involved, which to be honest, most history does um, involve warfare um, or some form of conflict. Um, but of course, World War One um, is, um, you would say, in the grand scheme of things, is almost um, kind of recent history. You know, within the last one hundred and fifty years. So, it is um, something that you know I love just always listening or reading things about. And of course, this all quiet on the Western Front is arguably one of the most famous anti-war and World War One novels ever written. So I, I became aware of this book when I was listening to, um, it was actually a course that I've mentioned um, before on this podcast called The Great Courses. So the course itself is actually titled Books That Have Made History, Books That Can Change Your Life. And the, le- the lecturer essentially believed that um, All Quiet in the Western Front, you know, was, was one such book. So I heard that and added it to my, um, you know, watch list or wish list. And then right maybe about a month after that, Netflix released a German a- adaptation of the film. So I then watched that film and was like, yeah, this book is definitely the, the one for me. So then we'll go on to um, Michael and Stephen here to see what did they know about this book or had they heard about it before? Or... Yeah, um, I think I mentioned on a previous episode of the podcast that I, I watched the movie on Netflix. I think I, I'm trying to remember what I said about it. I think I said that I just I, I just thought it was... It was a well-made movie, but I don't. It doesn't have much more impact on on me than that, because I know it was it was very highly thought of. Uh, it was some people's choice for for best picture, uh, and then so that that's all I really knew about this book. Um, yeah, I didn't. I didn't really know much about it. Like, obviously, <clears throat> it's a very famous book. I've I've heard about it, but I actually thought it was uh, World War Two for a start. Uh, but any and I didn't know it was from the German perspective either. So um, when you said to to do this book this time around, I, I was you know keen to to get through it. Yeah. 
Yeah, I think the, the fact that it's from the German perspective is definitely one of the main attractions of this book. Um, yeah. But then uh, I'll, I do have a few things to bring up later about also the, the being an issue because it's from the German perspective, but we'll discuss that later. Um, I think so I then, have the same problem. <laughs> possibly. Um, <laughs> yeah, so I guess then we can go into a kind of overview or what you thought of it without giving anything away before we go on to our main um, review. So we'll go Michael and Stephen again. Yeah, um, I really, really enjoyed this book. Um, we on our group chat we put on when we finished it and you can both vouch that I, I finished it very quickly I think it was two days and so I kind of blazed through it two or three days uh yeah it's on, on I think on our very first episode I said something about the Harry Potter book was like if you want to uh if you want to see Hogwarts you watch the movies if you want to go to Hogwarts you read the books and I feel I feel kind of like this the, 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 about this book compared to the movie where the movie didn't really affect me that much whereas this book you really felt in the trenches at times and it felt like the immediacy of the war it kind of brought home the horror of everything that was happening more and I think like having the being inside the narrator's head and seeing that conflict of his place in the world and you know what the war was doing to his identity as a young man kind of made it a lot more impactful than than the movie was to me um so so yeah i really i thought this was a, a great choice and i really really like this book uh, yeah i mean i i don't know how much more to say than that like um i wholeheartedly agree i, I think it was uh, really well written and uh, i enjoyed it yeah yeah no i completely agree i, I really like this book as well um, I thought the message was so powerful, um, what it was trying to get across, and the the like the contrast, the bittersweet contrast between the terrors of trench warfare, but also the camaraderie with and the banter between the friends, um, just made the book so entertaining. And then also like you know, at any moment you know the soldiers could be joking around, messing about, and then the next you know they could be getting shelled and attacked in some way, and you know you could have been chatting to some boy, and then two minutes later he's blown the bits, you know. Um, I just thought like that created some kind of sense of tension the whole way through, and yeah, you kind of felt like you know you were you were there as Michael said. You know, it, it kind of gave you a better description than any movie can give you. Just actually like your own imagination of how he's describing it and what you think. Um, but yeah, I really like this book too. There was definitely that sort of emotional roller coaster at times. Yeah, like you say, you know, they're they're all laughing and joking, and then yeah, all hell breaks loose. Yeah, because like you grew up um hearing that there were two world wars and like lots of people died, and you see the movies, and it kind of it kind of gives you like this sense of like cognitive dissonance where you don't really, you don't really feel the impact of like how crazy it was because we've always we've always known there was a war. We kind of take it for granted that it just happened, and it kind of like I, I listened to a, a podcast uh, by George Carlin um, I think Hardcore History which is a really really excellent podcast it's really huge episodes and he does a breakdown of World War One, and it just like goes on to like how how people just weren't ready for this technological upgrade they didn't realize what weaponry they had and just how just the insanity of this war and and like this this book really 
instead of giving an overview which a really excellent overview which um uh sorry dan carlin dan carlin gives uh this kind of puts you more on the on on the head of the soldiers and you can kind of you see it kind of more from the ground level and and it feels like it feels kind of weird to like even review this book a bit because it nearly feels i don't know if you guys had the sense it nearly feels like a non-fiction book at times i'm sure it was it was very written very much from personal experience a lot yeah, I was, yeah. I was gonna I was gonna bring this up later, um, but I don't know whether I should touch on it now because it feels a wee bit spoilery. We're about to jump on that section, and I said, "Go ahead." Oh, fine. So I legit thought until the very like last minute of the book that it was uh, bio, like even semi biographical, and then I realized at the very end, yeah, I was like, oh, no way." <laughs> so that was yeah. I think I, I think I was a couple of hours onto it before I realized it was a it wasn't a non-fiction book. Yeah, it was, yeah. It was I actually checked it was the the very last minute of the book. I'll, right. I'll yeah. get on to like what ha- we'll we'll talk about what happens I guess later but Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I guess I guess then we can um, move on to the more um, spoiler review and kind of go through in depth now each kind of section of the book. Um, so the actual beginning of the book starts on the battlefield, but I'm just going to go to the chronological beginning, um, just for, uh, just kind of working our way to the actual warfare, because that's, you know, the main, the juicy part, essentially. Um, but the, the actual, um, kind of start of, like, the, the earliest chronological scene is essentially with Paul, um, Bomber, who is essentially our main protagonist, like, he's, it's, everything's from his perspective, um. So he's living at home with his parents and his sister, um, and it's this kind of like nice little German village, and he goes to school with his friends, and then there's a teacher there who's spouting this patriotic propaganda regarding the war effort and how honourable and glorious it is to fight for your country, and of course all those young lads just are, you know, like putting in his hand and just like, oh yeah, yeah, we'll go do that, and then of course they go on enlist, and and then from there they go on to the war, but um what are your guys what do you guys uh, think about this opening scene like do you think it sets up the um or whenever they jump back essentially the scene do you think like obviously we know the terrors of war just from modern media and things like that but on this do you think it's kind of almost like funny how you know these boys are just they're they're in for it like you know they how little they know and how much they're getting like how much uh you know lies they're being fed and things like that yeah kind of kind of annoyed me because like uh, you know the teacher really does build it up in their heads and stuff, and they're like very impressionable and stuff, and it's kind of sad because they're they are all about to get ruined. <laughs> yeah. Forever. Like, I think um I think reading onto this the background of this book, I I read that a lot of like literature around war before this book was very glorifying, so it's kind of like it's almost a commentary I think on those on that attitude towards war where it's all about glory and honor and it's romanticized it's this it's this big meaningful thing it's the most meaningful thing that a young man can do almost what a lot of people had that opinion of and it's clear that their teacher has just completely fallen for that narrative that he's he's building it up to these very impressionable young men and it's like this is this will is what will give your life meaning this is what this is the most important thing that you could possibly do and then being young men 
full of testosterone get each other going and and they i think he says that the entire class all 20 sign up yeah and so and some of them felt pressured because they would be ostracized if they didn't sign up yeah so peer, I, I it's like a, a, a new form of peer pressure yeah i thought it was like an effective opening for setting up you know the themes that would be the conflicts that would come later you know i liked later on too where they, they kind of mentioned this teacher a few times but later on in the book he uh one, one of the characters gets a letter from him as i remember and i think he like you know still still trying to big up the war and he like i think he refers to them as the iron iron men or something like that and yeah. they've been through like you know meat grinder and just seeing yeah. all the horrors and it's yeah so he's back at home loving it you know it's in relative safe safety and they're out you know losing their lives and stuff and yeah i think he goes home too like at some point he gets like you know the, they get like certain le- amounts of leave and stuff to go home for a while and like he goes home and like his dad is like all bugging him like oh what's it like there's his class and all he's killed lots of french people and <laughs> yeah. all this kind of stuff and it's like you know everyone like the whole country is just being fed this propaganda that the war is awesome and all and obviously i'm pretty sure they like they even told them that they were winning even though germany were getting absolutely their arse kicked from the get-go but um i think like the just even like the teacher himself probably didn't even know like he probably did think it was glorious because somebody else has fed that to him so it just like shows you how yeah. like like what the the you know i think it was like they had like a a kaiser or whatever so like basically the king of germany or whatever was you know on that whole establishment we're just feeding the the, the people lies yeah and it's very tied to patriotism because it's like it's nearly it's nearly like a betrayal to be anti-war it's like are you not a true do you not love your country yeah i actually have a good point to bring up about that later too as well so um keep that on the back burner um <clears throat> so i guess then so that that is kind of the chronologically the beginning um and then of course they enlist and go off to the front and it's kind of like the the book then spends most of the time at the front and then they kind of like um you know there's there's parts where they go on leave or they get to go back and like like do kind of different kinds of work like um i'm pretty sure in one of the bits they're like helping clear out a french village and things like that um so they're not always in the trenches but it's just kind of like always you know coming back to this trench warfare um so a lot of the book is uh, centralized around it so what do you think of this like trench warfare set and things like that i'm sure even the movie if you've seen the movie has more like you know obviously gives you more visual kind of but the actual descriptions and things of the setting it's just like super grim like you know they're kind of in these trenches and there's like rats and stuff all around them and their food's going off and all this crack and it sounds horrible yeah i think like i think the the parts about the the trench warfare are really really well written they're every like this book is written in the present tense and it really just it's so immediate and like there's no there's no punches pulled at all and describing the horrific things and no man's land and the the bodies they hide under bodies at one point the shells that are falling the you know soldiers going out of their mind trying to cl- crawl out of the trenches and everything having to be pulled back it's just it was really strong imagery and it was just constant it was just this barrage of imagery and description that was coming and i yeah it was really powerful yeah um yeah i think well obviously what it talks about like you know even like things as simple as like there's horses like screaming and stuff like that and like it's like the the horse is like screaming all night and all and then 
finally, you know, somebody had to like put it out of its misery or whatever. It's yeah, like it's super the, Yeah, people are like on both sides of the trenches because like I think the trenches themselves aren't actually that far from each other. You know, like you can like pop your head up and like see someone that's only like maybe a hundred, two hundred yards or something of battlefield in between. Um, so like it's like these soldiers are on the other side also listening to this and they're probably having a grum time as well. Um, but I always like the the contrast to like the between the like obviously Germany kind of were eventually boxed in to their own country by the you know there was the Eastern Front as well and their supplies were like the the uh, British had this whole bl- uh, blockade and things like that to stop supplies getting on. So it was like always I think I've mentioned this a few times throughout the book like how a lot of the times they brought up like how hungry they all were and like it was always brought up as kind of like a funny thing because you had your boy Cat who was the resourceful one and he would always find them food but they were always That's talking about how yeah yeah exactly <laughs> how like uh, uh, there was like barely not, not enough rations and things like that and then they're like over in the French side they've got like you know rations for days and things like that um, so it seems like the, the from the German perspective like it was pretty grim even like I'm sure it was bad on the French side but I'm sure the, the German side yeah. was much worse they were fed at least and I think they even say at one point that when they were given more rations it was it was a it was more of an ominous thing because they knew that meant something bad was coming that they were basically being that food was being given just as pure energy uh that they knew they were going to basically have to um go over the top as they as they say yeah let me let me ask you this right this is this is something i've thought about like a few times and over the years and it's probably a really stupid question right but how how are the trenches like built, right? They're, because they're so close to each other, right? I know obviously they're dug and whatever, right? Because they're so close yeah. to each other, how does that happen? Like, how is that allowed? Like, how did a uh, how did one army dig them just just close yeah, to another army? Exactly, how did they? Yeah, yeah I, I'm not I'm not really sure how how it happened. Um. I think I think that podcast I was listening to Dan Carlin does explain that you know, but I think that they would remember. like like say like the Germans would probably like they would have won that their one on and uh, the Western Front was mostly in Germany, so they would have had like this defensive one, maybe a couple, and then as the French pushed down, so the French the one that their French actually end up being in that's only a hundred yards is actually an old German one. Oh, okay. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So it's like maybe the first initial yeah. ones were quite far apart, and then you know as they started conquering more and more they. Yeah, started getting ones beside each other and stuff. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, because that does that does even happen in the book and the movie, um, where they they invade opposing trenches. Yeah, I want to know what like you know, so the trench I think I read was reading. I think there it was like four hundred and forty miles or something like that from like Belgium down to Switzerland, uh, basically across Germany is where the the main front was, and I'm just wondering like, is that all like just like you know what? <laughs> But they have like they also had like multiple trenches. Like it wasn't just one big long trench the whole way down. But that would have been hilarious. Like and why wouldn't you have done that? I suppose maybe obviously there would be rocks and stuff in the way or rivers and all, but it would have just been hilarious if you could yeah. just literally walk this trench the whole way down there. <laughs> I guess we can because we're now into basically talking about actual the trenches and stuff like that and the actual main warfare, we can talk about some of the characters. Um so I guess like the main character Paul you're seeing everything essentially from his eyes and I don't know if maybe uh, Eric uh, Maria Remark based you know Paul on himself a bit like you know the way he would behave or it's just a complete made up character or maybe it could have been 
one of his friends and he's based on one of the other people or something like that but um so we had basically paul and there was a load of the ones from his class and then of course then cat is like an older kind of guy um who essentially becomes like a mentor to them all because he's obviously got more experience with things um and he's the to be honest he's probably my favorite character and i think in the movie as well he's exactly how you would picture that he looks he just looks like a shady guy like he just looks like he's that guy you know i can get you anything or like you know the one in prison like the morgan freeman character i can get you anything like yeah so but i had the um the actual casting the the casting that was good but um yeah i think that um some of the characters you know they're they all kind of like have a lot of banter and stuff like that um so what did you guys think of the characters like did you think they were well developed or I think some some of them were, but I don't think some of them didn't get uh, a lot of time. But I mean, yeah, I think the characters that we did hear a lot from were were well developed. Yeah, but again, they probably were based on real people, as as we said. Yeah, so. like that he he probably based them on like members of his company or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, I think like um, war movies and books in general, it's hard to. It's hard to grasp every character because we are we're constantly because the nature of war there's the older the people who have been there already and then there's the new recruits come on it's it's always trying to show you the cycle of things so you're constantly you know seeing these new faces and you kind of don't really you, you just know that there's the platoon and you don't really get to know many of them as individuals but yeah, obviously we know we get to know Cat very well, and we see that he has like a mentor figure to Paul, and I think you do feel very attached to him. Uh, and Paul himself, I thought was a a really, really well developed uh, protagonist. I think he probably is like a an insert of the offer, I would guess. But um, yeah, he he obviously is at the heart of all these questions he's the one that um that's always asking you know what why are we doing this what he's has that um that great scene where where he sees the russians in the cell and he kind of he he questions he sees them i think they're playing music or something and he he asks kind of why are they considered the enemy they're not the ones who put us here and he realizes that the authorities are are really the enemy but yeah, I thought I thought Cat and Paul were were very effective characters, and the platoon, as more as a character itself, you feel attached to the idea of the platoon. I think more than yeah, the individuals. Uh, yeah, you feel like you could be you could be inserted under the platoon and enjoy the <clears throat> the, the banter with the with all the guys. I think there's um, also the uh, the uh, drill sergeant uh, Himmel Himmelstoss, um, who they like who he's he just quite uh, harsh on them and stuff like that but he's um like they kind of it's almost like they're not like although because he's a sergeant they have to listen to his orders they kind of almost don't take him seriously because he's like it's all like he's like a small man syndrome kind of character he's like gone mad with the power um and like i think there's one scene where they they do like a prank on him where they like he's walking home drunk or something at night and they like cover him with a bed sheet and beat the crap out of him and i, I just want <laughs> you know that that's quite quite a funny part in the you know, it's a it's a good like you know, crack with the lads kind of thing. Yeah, there is like moments of dark humor like that in this book, but um, yeah, I he I think he's like the face of authority. He is 
I think they, they say that everybody in the army has power over someone else. And he's like kind of exemplifies that and the pettiness of of having control over over the small amount of people and what it does to you kind of. Well, yeah, like so the, <coughs> sorry, just just on that funny thing about that is like he does the kind of lord it over them, right? And then when he gets sent to the front and they still they're like, you know, not taking him on or whatever. And uh eventually he sort of um falls in line with him, you know, and he tries to be the friend and everything. So he yeah, kinda he has a freak out or something, doesn't he? One, yeah. one of the shell shell yeah. attacks. Yeah, one of the shell attacks. So then he kinda um it's kind of a more humanizing moment for him, which was was interesting to see. Yeah. Yeah, I just wonder like how these like the sergeants or the lieutenants and stuff, all the higher ups like why do they like always look so calm and stuff like that? Like you know, it's like all you have all these privates and recruits and stuff like absolutely terrified and all. And then like these sergeants, I guess that's why they're in that position because they're experienced and stuff like that. But mm. I mean, surely inside they're also like just like they want to run away as well. Yeah, I think um, I think if I was to guess, I would say it has a lot to do with what uh Paul kind of says. He's like, you're you're constantly fighting this battle between clinging to your your own sense of self but you're also trying to push that away because you need to push that away because you can't have humanity when you're confronting this enemy or else it will get you killed so it's kind of like it's probably these people that are really really good at switching that off that get into the higher positions so they can they can Mm -hmm. kind of just put themselves to the background i think there's a another good scene this is the actual opening scene um of the book the first few chapters is about um like it starts on the front lines and they've just been relieved of their position and one of uh, paul's classmates uh Kimerick, is he's he's got like shot in the, in the thigh and basically he's he's gonna die um i think, I think he's got gangrene or something in the yeah. yeah he's obviously got some kind of infection or whatever but he's um essentially like the, the friends know he's gonna die like because you know he's obviously delusional he's like oh is it bad and all like that and they know and one of the friends, so these boys are classmates and all good friends, and he goes, can I have your boots? Basically <laughs> saying, I mate, you're going to die, like, can I have your boots? Yeah. Like, it's it's a bit brutal, like, like, the way they love and stuff like that. Even one minute he's your friend, and then next it's like, what can I benefit now off him dying? And I think the the actual medical um, like staff, too, like, I think this is one of the criticisms, too, of the book, um, that it made the German medical staff look like, like they didn't even care about the soldiers or nothing, because... They were just basically like wanting to get his bed, so they were just like going her up and die, so we can use your bed for somebody yeah. else. Oh, it feels like that when you just go to a hospital here. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think it's. You know what I mean? It's very. Like, but scaven. Yeah, I mean, like the thing I got from the 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 whole bush thing was just how hard it was because like his mates dying, but he could really he could actually really use those boots, put them to good use. It would help him a lot, you know. Yeah. So that just shows you how hard it is loving this sort of yeah trench life and front at the front yeah yeah I think it sh- it just shows I think that you have to adopt this like very pragmatic mindset to get by. Uh, so there's I think you you did touch on this too, Michael about the like you know the whole scene with the Russians. It's like why are we fighting these people? Like these aren't our real enemies. Like the the enemies are the higher ups who are making us do these horrible things. Like there's another scene where they're. There are the, the Paul and his friends are like bathing and they like encounter the three French girls and then they like sneak out and meet them and spend the night with them and stuff like that. And 
like it's just like <clears throat> even though they can't speak the same language like the, the, they don't understand they cannot can still communicate with each other it's like you know these people are just the same as us and it's like yeah again that's another like highlight of like, what is the point in this why are we fighting these people like they're not they're not bad like they're just doing what they're told as well uh, I think that again is like kind of one of the, the futility of war kind of um, topic you know there's there's literally no point in this like it's you're fighting and like even like the gaining of the ground um like they like lose like say half a million men they gain like a couple hundred yards of ground and then they probably lose it then the next day like it's all it's, it's absolutely ridiculous if you actually think about it yeah yeah i think like that is obviously this book is so full of tragedy but that is one of the big the the biggest jokes of war and and the biggest tragedy of this is that um that as I was saying at the beginning, the the with the teacher was to say this is the most important thing you can do, but then they go there and they realize it is pointless what they're doing. It's just it's just people dying and there is no need for it to happen. I think like the the soldiers discussed that um this the way it should work is where generals go into like a bullfighting arena and they hash it out. Uh, so I think that like touches on that uh, theme where it's these authorities that are that are responsible for it these people who are glorifying the war and it's it's the people it's the young people who have to pay and and have to lose their identity and i think they're even they're even known as the lost generation this this young generation that went into world war one uh, because so many of them obviously were lost and the war they died but then even those that came back they didn't know what to do in society because they didn't have lives really before they left for war yeah there's, there's a good probably my favorite quote from the book was um paul says uh we were 18 and had begun to love life in the world and we had the shit at the pieces so it was like yeah. they were just starting out in their life and then some person some stranger that just goes well we're going to war boys gone ahead like you just go do it we're going to sit here nice and safe and you know in the capital or whatever um, what? yeah, don't, don't you love your country? <laughs> don't you love your country? Like, well, why are you not going to fight and all? Like, I mean, that's just ridiculous. Yeah, and I think another scene that shows that kind of, that fame as well is when uh, the Kaiser comes to visit the camp, and it's just kind of the reaction to this person who is probably supposed to inspire them and make them really feel what they're fighting for, and they're just completely underwhelmed. Yeah, because it's like. If, if say if this was from the French perspective, like you can understand how it's glorious and stuff or like honorable because you're defending the country, but like the Germans were the invaders, like the people that were they started begun it and like you know they're, they're it's like we're fighting for our freedom or whatever, but you're not really you're fighting to like actually take over another place. Like it's yeah yeah I think the fact that this is from the German perspective like it's just so like insightful and how stupid war is yeah yeah so. There, another part um, then is when one of the times that Paul gets to go home on leave, um, if, if he doesn't have it bad enough, you know, he gets home and finds out his mother has cancer. Um, so, you know, the man's having a rough a rough time of it. Um, but I think the main like message when he goes home and he's like talking to his family and stuff and his dad's like, oh, how's the front law? Is it as, as good as they say it is? And he, he just can't seem to like, you know, he feels a bit disconnected um, from people back home. And like he kind of then wishes that he'd never gone on leave, um, because he believes he's changed too much to basically live life the way he used to, um, because he's been changed by the war and the brutality of it. So 
I think that again is another like that is one of the main messages is how the war like um, I'm sure Eric Maria remark you know suffered as like you know the post-war depression things like that um, like the shell shock and PTSD and things like that um, so I think like even if you do survive I mean your quality of life after the war is not going to be much better than it was um, when you were in the war so I think like um, it is a big thing it's like the the loss of innocence of going to war in the first place because like we see him we see the Paul flashback to kind of his childhood while he's while he's on the trenches and it's just like he's never going to feel that peace again in his life the war has ruined that forever and even if he even if he did survive we'll get to we'll get to the end later what happens to Paul but um yeah it's and and like uh, just to say on what you were saying about like the disconnectedness which is obviously a big theme of this book that is very much exhibited when he when he's on leave and goes home and talks to everybody and he just has this frustration of nobody understands and people are asking him to describe the war but they don't realize that he can't speak of the war and he just tells them oh it's it's great just what they're expecting to hear and everything and i think that's probably like was probably a big motivation i would say to write this book for the offer he probably wanted to try and communicate what was so frustrating to try and put in words to people so that's probably was probably a motivation to write this book as well i would say well there's, there's also like a, a great iron irony there too because like he's on leave from the war but but he's not really because he you know nobody will let, leave him alone about it yeah he can't they escape it no matter what he does so yeah he'll, um, he'll take it with him yeah, so another, so basically obviously everything's happening here at the front, like, so I've just got a load of points that um, I think are quite interesting to talk about. Um, and again, this this one is kind of like, even though we've just said that Paul kind of is completely changed and he's almost like this, he's like completely different person. He's been hardened by the war, but he's also kind of become a bit cold or whatever. And he's, you know, he just feels absolutely ruined by it. There's a scene where he, um, or like a chapter where he stabs a French soldier, so like they're out in the no man's land after um, an attack, and he falls into some kind of like um, crater that was left by one of the shells, and a French soldier falls into, and Paul stabs him, um, and basically Paul like lies there like watching the man die, and like he's like, like I think he's like he's like lungs punctured or whatever, so he's like drowning in his own blood or whatever, and uh, so Paul obviously was just scuffling with him and fight him, fighting him and stabbed him and then after watching him, this boy in pain, he just again gets that sense of this guy's just like me, he's not a bad guy, like he was just doing what his country, you know, wanted him to do and then he just starts trying to save him and giving him water and trying to like dress his wound and stuff and then after the man dies, Paul is kind of like very shameful and things like that and like he goes through the man's pocket and finds like a picture of his wife and child and letters to home and things like that and it's just kind of i think a really sad moment um that even though paul he's like supposed to be this now soldier and hardened and all he's still very very much human and yeah you know it's, it's just a, a quite a sad moment and it was even like that too when you watch the movie they have the same scene yeah i thought this was the most powerful scene probably on both the book and the movie it's just like the mix of emotions that you feel as as first he he's confronting this guy and you kind of because you're 
your through Paul's perspective, you're kind of rooting for him. I know it's it's a bad thing to say that since he's on the German side, but you're kind of like <laughs> <laughs> you you want Paul to be okay, and then um, and then when he's trying to save the guy, you're like, oh, this is going on. This is very horrific and hard to watch, and hard to or hard to listen about when we're talking about the book, and then um. Yeah, it just it just goes on and on, and I'm sure it felt that way to Paul. And it's it's such a it's such a powerful scene. I thought it's just the just the mix of everything that you feel at different stages when he's trying to save him and everything. I can't remember if this happens in the book, but one one image that stays with me from the movie too is when he tries to like he tries to help him choke by stuffing mud into his mouth. Is that not him? I can be quiet. I I stop him. Like oh, okay, choking yeah. him like a noise, like he's, yeah. he's actually trying to kill him at that stage, I think. Uh, or it's it's kind of like the sound of, the, of him like choking and dying and stuff is like, uh, like he can't listen to it anymore. He's like, yeah. oh, please just like die. Yeah, it's just, it's very horrific. Yeah, I don't, I can't remember that being described in the book, but yeah, it's 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 almost kind of a funny in the in the in the movie when he does it. It's like, well, why are you doing that? Like, if you want him to be quiet, just like stab him again, or yeah, <laughs> yeah what's the guess? Uh, yeah. No, what did you think, Stephen? Do you have any thoughts on this scene? I was just really grim again. Yeah. You know, like a lot of the scenes. Was, I haven't, I haven't watched the movie or anything, but in the book, it was like very, very, very graphic. Yeah. And uh, yeah. Yeah, I think it was. I think it was good that it, it didn't shy away from stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah, just the, the recurring theme of this book is just you know you're you kind of get a wee bit happy because they're they're having fun and then depression. Yeah, <laughs> and then a wee bit more fun, and then depression again. Like it's just com- completely throughout this book. Um, but you know, I've never been entertained as much by something so grim. <laughs> um, there's another then scene, um, or another chapter that's like Paul spends in the hospital. I think he gets uh, like shrapnel on his leg or something like that. And there's like uh, just the one point I want to bring up is there's there's like this room, like that's supposed to be. You know, the if you get ta- I, if the dining room, basically, if you get taken there, you know, it's, it's basically you. They know you're going to die. Like, and there's like a boy. One of the boys is like lying there, like he's getting taken away. He's like, no, don't take me there. It's like as if like I'm getting taken there. It's going to make a difference on whether he dies or not. It's just because they <laughs> yeah. think he's going to die. Whether he stays in the, this room or goes to that room, it doesn't matter. Yeah. But um, yeah. Also, eventually, that guy actually survives and comes back, and it's kind of like a wee bit of hope. Um. So it's. I, I, but I thought that was like a funny one because it's like the guy as well. There's another guy in there. Um, once they spend some time with his wife and like they they kind of like have, have crack and they like create this plan so that uh, they can keep get him alone with his wife and like they can watch the baby and keep the doctors and nurses away and stuff like that. Um, so I just thought that this this is this is kind of a, a nice few chapters of the book. Yeah, that's what I think that, that's, that's the, sort of what that's I meant. The camaraderie again. Yeah, three. Yeah. Sort of what I meant, like when about the dark humor about uh, in this book. You know, that's another example of it. The the death room. It's kind, of, it's 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 kind of horrible, but also kind of funny. Yeah. Um. So I guess then coming towards the end of the book, um, what like Paul essentially all his friends, you know, kind of start getting killed off one by one. Um. One difference then in the movie and the book, I think, is is the cat is the last one to die. Um. In the in the book, he um. He basically uh, gets hit in the leg with shrapnel, and Paul carries him back. But um, when he gets there, the medic basically says that he's actually already dead. And Paul's like, what? He's, he just got hit in the leg and then realizes he's actually got hit in the back of the head with a bit of shrapnel as well. 
Um, whereas I, I think in the the film, doesn't he like he like he's injured and he just like stabs himself in the neck with a fork or something like that. No, that's not that's not cat, does it? I, that's that's I, um, I don't know. Is that? I thought in the movie, Cat was the guy who stole the goose. Ah, yeah, it was, yeah. So he, he's, uh, there's this plot and the near the middle of the the book. They, uh, they This happens in the book and the movie. They steal a goose and then they cook it. And then, um, but the difference then in the Which movie... Which is so random, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the difference in the, in the movie then is in the movie, they go back and try to, I think they try to steal another goose, if my memory... That's correct, and then um, I think it's cat anyway on this. But uh, yeah, the like the farm the farm boy kind of follows out after them, and he takes his dad's rifle or something, and he shoots cat in the stomach. But because it's on the stomach, uh, they don't, you know, they don't really think the wound is serious because they're just talking. Oh, well, let's get back to camp now and stuff. And then cat dies while he's over um Paul's shoulders. But uh, yeah, on the on the book, he's just he's just hit by a stray piece of uh, shrapnel in the head. So I don't know. What do you think about the the difference in that, Jonathan? I don't know. Who who does who stabs himself in the neck with a fork? You know, like they kind of. I thought that was Cat. No, was it? Cat? I I can't remember now in the movie if it was, maybe it was, but so, so I I thought it was the crop. Was it? I thought he was the one who stabbed himself in the neck. It was. It was apparently it was Chadden. Oh, okay. I can I can actually remember then Cat Day in, in the movie. Um, now that I think about it, but I'm assuming was it a some. What did you say there about what was the difference? It was like a farm boy uh, follows him out into the woods. He follows him from the farm. Oh the, yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah, then yeah. He, then I he shoots him now. in the stomach. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I don't know why they changed that. I guess maybe it was just like. More, uh, the 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 death of like the wee boy coming and shooting them was a bit more tragic because it's like you know that shouldn't have happened. Yeah. Whereas you know the strap on the back of the head is just you know that's you know anything like that could have happened at any point. Um. So I feel like the the movie almost made it yeah a bit more tragic the way he died. Um. I think the book's power was in that you know, Paul's carried him all this way and then hasn't even realized that he's died at some point. Um, which I guess also makes it a bit tragic. I I do like them both. I like both versions for different reasons. I think the as you said, like it's a kind of the senselessness of the the kid shooting him, and it's also like it's also sort of tragic from the boys end too because there's the loss of innocence from him having killed somebody now, and then uh, but on on the book where he's just hit by a stray piece of shrapnel, I kind of like that too because it's just. Just shows how fragile people are and how yeah something completely random can just you know wipe somebody's life out and then it's I think the most tragic part is the fact that Paul hauls him all that way thinks he's fine then to get them the the guy in the tent is just like no he he's dead and it's just very casual casually done this like yeah. this extremely important moment in Paul's life and it's just like you know it's just another another body. Yeah, so yeah, it's. I do actually, you know, as you've said that, like, I uh, like the the difference. Like, I think that's, you know, it doesn't take anything away by making it different. It kind of like give me another kind of perspective or another thought of um, the way someone can just be killed in this war, things like that. Like, I think, like, in the movie, like that, that the, the boy that does stab himself with a fork, I think he's like injured. Yeah. 
but he, he's, he's, it's not like he's, I don't think he's going to die or anything. I think he's like not terminally injured, but I, I think he's just like, you know what, life isn't worth loving. This is, this is horrible. And he just kills himself. Like yeah. It's, it's yeah. just shows you that kind of, again, that's another kind of brutal scene. That's just like, you know, yeah, I just watched it and like just that clip and it was brutal. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't prepared for that. I think then they finish, finish off, um, the last kind of thing is basically almost like the last line of the book and I think Stephen this is the where you realised it was a non-fiction yeah <laughs> or what it was a fiction is that Paul basically stops being his first person perspective and it ends with an announcement that he's died and the army reports and actually on the day of his death it states uh, that it's all quiet on the western front which basically means that the war is over um, yeah. so essentially it's a bit tragic because he dies on the very last day However, just before his death, I think because like all his friends have died and he's basically alone now and like everyone at home, even though he's still got his dad and his sister at home, it's like, you know, he's a completely different person. There's, you know, there's no point. He's all, he's dead inside, um, you know, in a metaphorical way. So he may as well just be dead here now. Like it doesn't matter that he's died or whatever. So, um, yeah, what did you think then of this, this ending? Did you think it was a powerful ending or... Tragic or uh, what did you think? It was another hard part of the film or the, the, the book rather. Uh, again, like I think is isn't he in hospital because he's inhaled some gas or something? Um, and yeah, he's he's kind of just waiting waiting it out there, sitting in this wee garden or something. And then yeah, it all of a sudden just cuts to third person. Yeah, yeah, it's because kinda, there's like uh, a person. Uh, yeah, there's like a point of view shift. And it just like again, it it mentions it very offhandedly, but I think that that is part of what makes it impactful. That it is, it's just like oh, he died on a on a quiet day, and it's just it, it kind of it, it's tragic because again, it's that the that idea of war being important. It just it was just this other unimportant, uneventful thing that happened on a on an uneventful quiet day, but at the same time, it's kind of it's kind. It's weird to call it a happy ending as well, but it's kind of the only pace that Paul could have found as well. Yeah. Because it's his... I think, I think there is actually a line where it says that his, he didn't suffer and his face his face was like super calm. Yeah. As though he was happy that it was over, you know, everything was over. Yeah. Which is just so sad. Like. Yeah. Yeah, because he, I think uh, you said earlier, Jonathan, the what he's kind of clinging to in this war, what everybody seems to is, is the camaraderie. And that slowly, piece by piece, is torn away from him and he's just kind of left with nothing then. Yeah, it's, yeah, just kind of, like he'd rather just die. Like the, that scene in the, the movie with the guy committing suicide, like he'd rather just be dead than have to now go back to reality. And like he just knows that it's not going to be the same and he's, it's going to struggle in that life, having, having dealt with this. Um, but yeah, as well, it's just yeah, like it's it's just another death, you know. He's just another number. Um, essentially, you know how many people died in that war. Like he's just he's going to be forgotten by everyone apart from maybe his family. Um, all his friends are dead. You know, it's what is the point? Um, so yeah, I thought the ending was was extremely powerful, and uh, yeah, I, I like I think it, you know a lot of the books that we've reviewed, you know, I'd say there's very few that have had a very satisfying ending like this. Um, but I thought just you know see when someone even though it's a bit cheesy when it ends with the actual title of the book I just kind of it gives me that you know that chilled feel yeah, yeah. I just like oh how did they do that how did they wrap that up <laughs> <on there? laughs> 
I think this is this is possibly the only book where it well, maybe there's a few others where it had like a proper powerful message to you. Yeah. You know. Where like um, you know, war war sucks basically. Yeah, war sucks. <laughs> yeah. It is minus crack. Minus crack. Do you not war? <laughs> be be like the Irish that you know the Irish have never invaded anyone. Yeah. We so. just take it out on each other. And bars and stuff. <laughs> uh, we just yeah. beat the absolute crap at each other. <laughs> um, yeah, but I mean, uh, do you have anything else you wanted to bring up about the plot or anything of this book? Uh, um, uh, I pretty much said everything I wanted to say about it, I think. Yeah, I think I'm the same. So, uh, since we're not okay. doing trivia, should we mention. Um, Are we already going to do trivia? I, oh, I right. actually have a piece of trivia. Yeah, I have loads of trivia. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Forget that. I'll cut that out. Cut, cut that. Cut that. Cut. <laughs> no, leave it in. Leave it in. Cut, cut nothing. Okay, so we'll move on to the star rating now, um, and we haven't really spoke about the narrate the narrator at all. So um, I want to get your thoughts on what you thought about the narration of the book. Um, being this is the audiobook club, <laughs> should have been German. Well, the actual the movie's in German. The the newest movie on Netflix. So um, you can go check that out if you need your German fix. Um, but yeah, I guess what did you think then of the narration of this book? I feel like uh, right. I feel like you and Stephen have more to say than this on me, so I just want to listen first. <laughs> okay, so so <laughs> I'll go. I'll go there. So I mean, I, I no. In terms of pure narration, I think it was he did a really good job, Tom Tom Lawrence, right? I, I you know he was easy to listen to and uh, well spoken and everything, but I just couldn't get it out of my head the whole time that it should have been a German guy, you know. Because it's it's from a German perspective. Now, that is also counterpointed by the fact that I don't speak German, so he would have had it said in English. So like a German kinda, accent, but English. Yeah, so it would have sort of in a way defeated the purpose of it. But I still think I would have preferred it if it was narrated by a German person in English. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. It's it's not really. It's like it's the only real criticism that I have with the book. Do you know? Uh, which is, and it's not really so much of a criticism. It's just something I would have liked to see, I suppose, more than um, more than criticism. Yeah, I mean, I thought uh, it was clear and things like that. It was easy to listen to. Um, had a good voice again. It's just that thing. Does he bring that stuff in extra, like Stephen Fry, um, for example, does? Maybe not. I thought, but I thought for this book, you know, again, it's a book that's going to be hard to do. That you're you're talking about, you know quite grand things and things like that so I thought you know just being easy to listen in all was good enough for me and yeah I enjoyed you know I don't have any problems with it listen um I mean I don't mind that it was an English accent or uh, whatever where he was from I can't remember now what he actually sounded like the terms of the accent but um not German and I like I didn't really mind about that like um not that I have anything against the German accent I just it's grand the way it was for me (laughs) (laughs) um but yeah, no, I thought yeah, it was it was solid. Um, not a five for narration, but probably a four or four point five for narration. Yeah, I think I, I think I would agree. I think he was he was very clear. He was easy to listen to. Uh, I liked the pace with which he told the story. I liked his voice acting. I thought he um he he had good emotional resonance with everything that he was saying. It, it um yeah, I would say that he wasn't top top tier as, as some of the narrators that we've done but he was definitely definitely really good 
in terms of a rating, I think, yeah, I'm, I'm hesitant to go like four and above because I'm trying to rein in the sort of numbers that, that I'm giving out for these things because I feel like we tend to lean towards the higher end and I, I kind of want to rein it in. So I'm going to say three and a half for narration. Well, with, okay, we'll go, go on to our overall ratings now then, now that we've spoke about the narration. Um, does any want to go first? I mean, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I can go first. Uh, I, I think, uh, overall, I think I'd give it a, a three and a half again, because, as I said, I'm trying to rein in the numbers. Uh, I did really enjoy the book, but it's I don't think I would listen to it again. Uh, and I think, I don't know, I mean, I don't have any criticisms or anything, I just... Uh, I think three and a half is where it sits for me. No, yeah, that's some. Like, I mean, that's again, your opinion can be based on your entertainment factor or anything like that. It's completely yeah. subjective. Yeah, so. I mean, yeah, it's it's super subjective. Like, like I said, I, I did really enjoy it, but I, I just think I would have enjoyed something else more. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's, but, you're, yeah, it's, you're, yeah, you enjoyed yeah. this as its own, but yeah, there's things. Yeah, you enjoy reading more than you know, like different genres and stuff, like fantasy. You'd rather probably read about fantasy epic fantasy rather than this but you know it's still worth reading this I don't know hey I've been listening to Feast for Crows and there's some chapters in that where I'm like jeez <laughs> I actually uh, started uh, those Dance later, with Dragons there. those later what? Game of Thrones books are rough at times yeah and Michael what about you yeah um, I'm really really struggling here but uh, and I Stephen you said rain on and I, I I think if we calculate overalls, I'm usually the most generous reviewer, but I still, I still, I just, I can't be dishonest about my feelings and I have to give this five stars. Just thought this was a great book and I am probably, it is on my re-listen list now, so I will come back to it again. I just, I can't, I can't pick any fault at all with the book. It was really impactful and I just, I think it deserves its status as as a classic book as a as a must read book for everyone so yeah i just i can't i can't give it lower without feeling like i'm being a bit dishonest i think it deserves the five stars from me you know it's weird like i think i agree with you about you know every you know it should be listened to or you know read or listened to or whatever and it's uh it's a classic and everything but i still i think i i, I, I always seem to rate on my entertainment value yeah you know, so. no that's perfect that's that's fine i i think that's that's very fair enough like i just um i just i'll just have to be the generous guy who, who just gives like <laughs> five that's five and generous. four and a half stars everywhere yeah right um, there's only only the last book you rated lower than a four yeah i just I, I just like books <laughs> just put, put put that under the the entry section, Michael. I just like books. <laughs> um, for myself, and yeah, um, completely agree with Michael. You know, like so the, the 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 only book so far that I've given a five was The Humans, um, because not only was it entertaining, which I say if something is really entertaining, that brings up to about a four point five for me to get that extra point five. It has to be impactful and make me you know feel something. Um, you know, I'm obviously usually like a robot and don't feel anything. Um, but this book, <laughs> yeah, this book definitely, you know, it made me feel like it impacted me essentially. Um, reading it, so I will also give it a five. Um, for that reason. Nice. Here, Michael, put that bit where he said he's like a, normally a robot in the intro. <laughs> put all these bits we were saying. Put these bits in the intro. <laughs> <laughs> 
gonna be the longest intro ever. <laughs> um, yeah, so that's a sense of the star rating then. So a five from me and Michael, and a three point five from Stephen. So um, we'll move on to comparisons to other media. So I guess like we've discussed, there are movie adaptations. Of this there's actually been three. Um, there was a 1931, which is basically two years after the book was originally written, which was made by the Americans. And then a 1979 one, which is a bit less well-known. Um, it was a British-American version. And then the most recent one, probably everyone knows now, because it's on Netflix, is a German version. Um, so I think all of them um, either got nominated or won different various awards, BAFTAs and Emmys or whatever. Um, and the, the, the recent one was uh, nominated for Best Picture, although it didn't win. Um, but yeah, I mean, I haven't seen the previous two movies. Um, I definitely probably will watch the 1931 um, because I think that is on the Best Picture nomination list. Um, and like Michael, I'm working my way through the uh, Oscar nominations uh, best pe- for Best Picture um, movies. But it'll definitely be a while before I get back to 1930. Um, but yeah, I really enjoyed the 2002, uh, 2022 version, the German one. Um, I thought, yeah, it was just... I. I say I, I give it a seven on imdb um i like to go on and rate all my movies so you know it was pretty good but not absolutely amazing um but it was definitely a good watch um and it is in german um and you know i would always be a person that would watch with the subtitles rather than watching the dub because especially with german because the german action's quite you know harsh almost um <laughs> seeing you watch the english translation it's like the English word is like three letters and it's said and the German words like got 20 letters on it and it's like they're still their mouth's still moving whenever they're uh, saying the word and I just like hate that hate seeing things like that um, but yeah I like the movie I'm not sure then if you have any other kind of comments about the movies or is there any other media you'd like to compare this to uh, yeah, I, I didn't know there was a, a, a version from the 70s to be honest I thought there was just the two so that's that's interesting to hear about um yeah, I agree with you about watching subtitles over dubs. I'm sure there. I don't want to like minimize anybody's art form. I'm sure there's amazing voice actors who dub things. I've just never heard any of them because every dub I've ever watched has been pretty bad. But um. But your dragon style will defeat them. <laughs> <laughs> but I yeah I I thought the movie was good. I I didn't think it was anything special when I first watched it. Apart from that. Yeah, apart from that shell hole scene, I thought that was really great. But um, I can kind of reading this book, listening to this book, gave me a greater appreciation, I think, of the movie and where it came from, and the fact that it is so heavily based on you know a real soldier's experience. It kind of it makes me appreciate it more. I think if I rewatched it, I would probably like it more after after this book. But yeah, I thought it was a good movie. I probably will watch the. The other versions eventually and Stephen hasn't seen the movie so and that's what you haven't seen have you anything else Stephen or do you want no nah, I mean any any war film <laughs> comparison wise but I mean I I do intend to watch the the film but right now what's yeah, your uh what's your favorite war movie Stephen uh I don't know Michael um put me on the spot here now I can't really <laughs> think mine's gone blank uh what about you, John? Well, my favourite is Saving Private Ryan. However, the close second that is a World War One movie. It was nineteen seventeen, um, that that's, was released a couple of years ago. That's my um, favourite. Yeah, I really enjoyed nineteen seventeen. I thought like the actual in terms of picture and stuff like that, like it was so like 
there's like a scene where he's like running for one of the uh, destroyed towns at night. Yeah. There's like bombs going off and stuff like that. I thought like oh, the actual visuals, the visuals of it was so good. Like yeah. and like the, the way the the camera angles and things like that. Yeah. And I was like that that movie was famous for like being one continuous uh, scene. Like so, a one continuous take. They say about that sounds to me like like as in like they never broke it all. Like they just moved the whole way through that oh, movie. Yeah. Fight. yeah, it's made to look like that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it only stops for one thing. I think when he blacks out, but that's the only time the camera is not like in motion. Um, but yeah, I think those two would be my favorite. But I think um, there's not a, there's more movies on World War Two. I think I guess because you know that's when cameras and all started becoming like there's a lot more footage of World War Two and stuff like that. Like, cameras started becoming bigger around then. Um, but I think if if there is a movie about World War One, it's usually pretty good. Um, I think there's that one Lawrence of Arabia, like is about Lawrence of Arabia was like about the um the British like incited a revolution um against the Ottomans um in like Arabia basically. Um so I think that I haven't seen that but that that's a very famous movie. Yeah. We have a you know a apocalypse now too for the Vietnam War and um yeah a lot of uh Forrest Gump. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm going to Vietnam. <laughs> we were always looking for this guy called Charlie. <laughs> but yeah, I think um, 1917's definitely my favourite. I was just blown away by that movie when I saw it. What about, has that jogged your memory at all, Stephen? Any other inspirations? All, all of those ones, pretty good. No. <laughs> all of the above. All of the above. Put me down for everything. Okay. <laughs> I'll have one More. of everything. <laughs> Take the lot. <laughs> okay. Um, I guess I'll move on to Trevor. I have a few things. Um, Michael, I guess you don't have any since you thought that we were completely skipping this part. Oh, well, I have um, one thing. It's just a very, it's not... Go for it. Interesting. Oh, well, I just wanted to bring up that this uh, this book was, uh, and it was a big burnt book during the Nazi book burnings. Yeah. And I, I think... my trip, yeah. So, I'm sorry, <laughs> Stephen. I think I think that's more like a badge of honor of anything. Like you can say, like put that on the front of the book. This was burnt by Nazis. Yeah, I think the the whole thing. Obviously, the Nazis were trying to again go pro war and do a lot of propaganda. The war is glorious, and like you should fight for Germany and stuff. And obviously, this book is very anti-war. So like they were like get rid of this. But it was actually this is one of the things I wanted to bring up. So now that we're on this. Um, like the American, it was actually censored by Americans and British as well, although there wasn't like the Germans, like actually like, you know, there was like riots and stuff about this and people wanted to see the movie and stuff. Um, whereas the British and all just tried to like hide the fact the British and the Americans like tried to hide the anti-war thing. It's like, mm-hmm. it's cause the, obviously it's going to discourage people from going to war. And again, that just shows you, you know, it wasn't only the Germans that were trying to, you know, influence their people by like saying war is glorious and all like, you know, everyone was at it. And that's just the way the world was back then. So, um, but yeah, the Americans I've, definitely like they're big into that patriotism yeah. sort of. Thing. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. still are to be fair, but um, yeah. yeah. And media has a big impact. I mean, like, wasn't it uh, after Top Gun there was so many people you know signed up to to the army to fly planes? It was all oh, the navy and all thing thinking yeah. about. Oh, it looks classer. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it was like a, it was a crazy percentage increase. So it makes sense that. But it would also go the other way that anti-war media would dissuade a lot of people. Yeah. Um, Stephen, did you have any more trivia? Well, just uh, kind of related to the, the Nazi one. So apparently, uh, even though it was like burned and stuff, 
uh, a couple newspapers were tricked into like publishing bits from the book as though they were like real accounts. <laughs> I read that one. It was like, uh, I think the newspapers were trying to slander the book, and in doing so, they actually posted quotes from the book. They try and say that, look, the book is trying to say one thing, but look at this account we have from a real person. (laughs) And then it was just a quote from that book. (laughs) It's like, so they kind of like not only promoted the book, they also kind of contradicted themselves. Um, Yeah, well, I have a couple couple more yeah, sorry. Sorry, just one more then the other one was just that uh, there's an Elton John song about it oh, I, don't yeah. think of it. I don't think I've ever heard it either have I, I yeah, that was the first but mm. it exists did not know that uh, so my ones are that the original German title actually translates to nothing new in the west um, and then I think that that was then tr- there was a translate an English translation of the book and you know that last uh, phrase that was translated as uh, no news on the Western Front or something like that, which then obviously somehow got translated to all quiet on the Western Front. Um, oh, so it's it's funny that the the, the German tra- the original title is nothing new in the West, um, but again, it is the same idea. It's like it is, it was a radio report saying essentially the war is over. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's interesting how things like that do get changed. Yeah. Like it kind of um, it does change the meaning a bit. Yeah. Mm. Just so very subtly, I think. Yeah, it's like all quiet does sound like more like an end, whereas nothing new sounds like oh, there's no updates. We're we're still going yeah. on, yeah, as as normal. But um, yeah. So again, um, there's actually a sequel to this book, um, called The Road Back, which was written two years later. I only heard about this when I was looking up this travess, so I think I will probably read that as well. Um, it could be on an audiobook club podcast near you soon. Um, <laughs> but yeah, that that. That'll be interesting. I've never heard anything about it, so I'm assuming it's not as. Um, it sounds like the road back. That sounds to me like coming back from the war more than it is about the actual war. Um, but I'll definitely read it because um, I was a big fan of this book. Um, and then maybe just a wee fact then about the the futile, <clears throat> futility of the actual war. Um, so it says that the actual uh, Western Front, um, after the initial German invasion and the trenches became like well established, the front actually only shifted about fifty miles all in all over the four year period of the war. Um, fifty miles obviously not being that much considering you're talking about the entire country length in terms of how long the actual front was. Um, so yeah, it's mad like that oh, how many people died to gain fifty miles of ground. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but that that's that's uh, all the trouble for me. Um, just thought I'd throw in a wee actual World War One there. <laughs> that was good. good. Like yeah. that. Finally, so we, had our, we retired the trivia section last week only to bring it back and revive <laughs> it here. In a blaze of glory, yeah. <laughs> not, not in memoriam. I'm tri- 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 <laughs> um, oh, can, can yeah, I, I mean, if, go on, Michael. Just the one thing I wanted to add, this isn't really trivia, it's just um, uh, that Paul and the book... His favorite food is uh, potato pancakes. And you were oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And I and I had a, a pota- potato pancake. Um, we we were, we were out of the country on a stag slash bachelor party, and uh, yeah, uh, it, they're they're pretty solid. Yeah, I, I tried a bit of that, and yeah, it was it was good stuff. Like, <laughs> there was like what was there on top of it, like sauerkraut or something. Sauerkraut, yeah. Yeah, it was uh. 
definitely tasted like a much. I'm, I'm assuming obviously it's made from potatoes, but like how you actually do you just like mash up a pile of potatoes with like butter and fry it, or how, how, how do you even make those? Like, it'd be interesting. Yeah, I'm not not too sure. That's a video idea there, Johnny makes potato pancakes. Oh yeah, um, <laughs> yeah. Maybe we'll do it on our uh, bacon podcast once we get that going. Yeah, cooking podcast. <laughs> um, okay then. So I guess then we'll move now on to what else we're consuming. Um, so. Go for it. Here, wants to go first. Michael, what are you consuming? Stephen, I, I need time to think because I forgot we did the <laughs> section, to be honest. Um, me too. Let me see. Uh, right, well, I go first, then. <laughs> yes, please. Feast, feast for crows. No. Yeah, you go, you go God, first. God, you guys are useless. Um, <laughs> so, I am consuming um, a couple of things. So, Michael, you mentioned there was a history podcast you're listening to, so I'll be interested to get the details of that. But I'm listening to um, so one good. I've brought up before called Short History Of. And it is exactly what it says. It basically takes a topic and gives you a, a one-hour podcast about everything, like, you know, a crash course on what happened here. Um, but it covers loads of different topics. Like, I, I just love the way it's so broad and just gives you a little good highlight of everything. Um, you know, just again, because I absolutely love history. I love like, learning about these things. I wish I was so on the history when I was in school or had these, like, podcasts available. I would have absolutely aced it, like. But, um, <laughs> yeah, um, so that's in terms of podcasts. Um I have been watching that Wednesday, um, you know, the, the Adams Family remake show on Netflix. I'm almost finished that. Um, so I've been watching that. Um, it's quite good. Um, would recommend if you haven't watched it yet. There's only eight episodes. Um, audiobooks I've been listening, I just said I just started Dance of Dragons. Um, so I have obviously seen all the Game of Thrones, but I've never read them all. So um, this is, of course, the most recent book. Um, George R. R. Martin's been working on the, the one that should have been out like 10 years ago, it's still working on it. Oh um, but yeah, this is this is the last one, so I'm, I was always wanting to get it finished before George R. R. Martin um, released the next one, but you know, there's I would, absolutely I no would not worry about it. <laughs> no, he's, uh, he's going to die before he gets I know, yeah. there's, there's no way he's getting... Because he says there's like another two or three years on his there, or two, two, two yeah, but two, one's going to spawn the two parts. He has two planned, but he also at one stage said, you know, the series could be bigger than that, which... Oh, Jesus. I admire his optimism. Uh, I mean, he's only he's only seventy four. Like he's got another couple of years on him. I have a ways in good oh, health as well. Hundred fifty kilograms like this. Uh, he's, a big, he's a big lad. Like. He's a big boy. Um, and then yeah, movies wise, I've been watching. Like I said, there all the Oscar nominees. So I'm taking the idea from Michael. Um, I was just wanting to get back and they watch movies I always find it quite hard there they stick this on for more than 20 minutes to be honest so it was just absolutely <laughs> binging 20 minute shows but to be honest I've kind of been breaking the movies in the almost like 30 40 minute segments just kind of watching like that yeah. so I think that's the best way to do it because I think like my attention span just after 40 minutes I, I just be <laughs> on my phone and just can't really concentrate on the movie anymore so do you know like yeah. that's better so I just kind of try to pause it at like a like a, a kind of like a scene break almost part um so i'm watching at the minute i've watched the first half an hour of triangle of sadness um so i think i have that and i have woman talking are the last two that i need to watch from the, the 2023 nominations so i'll be finishing that um those two movies um well i would like to hear your thoughts on triangle of sadness because i know our friend uh jason did not enjoy it whereas it was like i think i said it was in my top three of the year i really loved it but I'll be interested to hear your thoughts when you finish it. I do the 30 minutes kind of segments too, but it's more out of uh, the fact that I do my Jenna. writing. 
it's yeah jonah is a factor but it's it's most it's because i do my writing in the evening and then it's like by the time it's nearly bedtime by the time i'm finished so if and i have like a 20 to 30 minute chunk before that so i'm like i'll, just, I'll watch a bit of something i've watched um yeah I'm just going, kind of fits in there perfect wee slot in your day yeah so i've been what i've watched a few movies i've watched um just ones that are on popular movies that are on my list of shame i've never seen um 10 things i hate about you i watched that recently i watched uh constantine with keanu reeves recently so it's the first time i saw those two movies and uh i've i've been walking so much recently so this i have listened to a lot of audiobooks um i've i'm 20 for the year right now and my, oh my god already yeah, yeah. jesus <laughs> <laughs> i've been i've been walking a ridiculous amount um but and a few of those are epic fantasies too so uh, yeah and i'm just trying to um think what i've listened to uh i've listened to clash of kings recently i've listened to (laughs) we're all on yeah we're all on the game of thrones so we are listen to mort by uh terry pratchett it's probably I've been doing the Discworld series on and off, and it's probably my favorite uh, Discworld book I've read or listened to yet. It's a de- It's about a, a kid that is he's he's looking for a job, so he goes to like a recruitment fair, and he is uh, recruited by Death, and Death is just like the most hilarious character on the Discworld series so far. Anyway, I'm only I'm <laughs> only on like book like. I think that's book five or something out of like 40. So <laughs> there's a lot to do, but yeah. And I read a, I listened to a, a Spider-Man book for some reason, but it was pretty, it's pretty good. Just uh, cranking up those numbers. Yep. And that's, uh, that's all I can really remember. <laughs> I've, I've, I've still been watching The Office as well. Um, I guess, I guess for me, yeah, I'm still going through, uh, Game of Thrones, so I'm on Feast for Crows, as I mentioned earlier, nearly finished. Um, it'd be good to put that series down <laughs> so that I can move on to other things, but <laughs> I am enjoying it. Uh, <clears throat> in terms of TV, like I've, we finished Shrinking, uh, I think I talked about it last time. Yeah. It's, uh, it's about these therapists and stuff, but it's got like uh, Jason Segel and uh, what do you call him? Harrison Ford in it, and all the actors are phenomenal really would recommend um still need to finish the last of us uh i know i'm gonna get crucified for saying that here i do too uh, actually i do as well i'll have it is uh and also need to catch up on the mandalorian too because i'm having started the new season i see i've been because of the last of us i've enough pedro going on at the minute so <laughs> you can't you, you can't know, have enough pedro you though. can't let them oh, over that's true you can't, you can't let them overlap like because he's like they very actually could because he's like the same character and everything like he's just this yeah. he's just just then, then you'll get confused you'll be like watching the last of us and you'll be like where's where's gray where's baby yoga <laughs> <laughs> um let me think and then there, there's another show there's a film that i want to watch uh it's called tetris i think it's just released today and uh, i don't mean to date the episode but i think it's about the guy who acquired the rights to like published tetris onto consoles and stuff and how he did that and everything so looks like it's interesting looks like a fun one um and then yeah i think i started i started playing elden ring again 
because uh, I never finished it. And I, I still haven't played it. that. Huh? I thought I thought you started it, but it's it's a long one. Like, mate, I am only because I'm on the computer gaming now. I am only ever going to pay twenty pound or less for a game, so I have to wait until it comes down. Just you wait for that Steam sale to come around. Oh yeah, Black Friday is nuts. in November, so. Um, and yeah, I mean, uh, I think I think that's about it for me, really. Wait, 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 wait. Sorry, no, I, I tell a lie. I actually um started rewatching two things. Um, so one of them is Red Dwarf, uh, the BBC science fiction show. Love that book. Uh, after I've you were talking about the, the other day, Michael. Yeah. Uh, and then the other thing is Dragon Ball. I've started oh, started nice. again. Uh, and that's uh, we were t- you were talking about bad dubs earlier. Wow! And oh man, hey, some of the <laughs> lines in that are cringe. They are bad. <laughs> I mean, that's a that's a movie that, or a TV show that's like you know obviously drawn animated, so it's like already like probably bad enough in the <laughs> well, original it's, Japanese. It's like, see, <laughs> so I, I, I have watched some anime dubbed before, right? Like for example, Super when it came out because I wanted to stay up to date. And it was okay, but see, uh, Goku's Japanese actor, uh, like voice, it's 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 unbearable. It's very spooky. <laughs> it's a lot of lot of shrieking. Just when you grew up with the dub, it's hard. It's hard to transition onto the, onto the subtitle version. I don't think I would yeah. do subtitles for like an animated thing like that. To be honest, like especially too if there's like, like I say, a movie is only an hour or two. You have to look at these subtitles. Whereas those TV shows, you have to watch how many seasons, how many episodes. Like it's it's too much. I would probably just prefer to because it's like a show that I would probably put on in the background. That's exactly what I've been doing. doing like, I've been putting it on during work, you no know, on, yeah. on a third monitor, and just just watching it. I'm not really watching it, but sort of listening on and off because there's so much filler that you can get away with that. <laughs> yeah. Whenever somebody says "Kamehameha," that's when you you look over <laughs> at that screen. He's not wrong. I'm, I was gonna. I was gonna say. I'm really disappointed that the Tetris movie isn't just like a live action version of the, the Tetris game. <laughs> it's a little like, it's like about a, a square, and he's like, I just don't fit in anywhere. <laughs> 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 yes, the Tetris movie we we need, but that no, no, we're not getting. Yeah. Damn, that's a really good idea. <laughs> Nobody take that. <laughs> Cut that, cut that. <laughs> um, yeah, so I guess we can move on to plugs. Um, so if he's having anything he's want to, he's working on or want to mention, then we'll then we can like it as well. Uh, still, still nothing for me. I'm, I'm bored. I don't have anything <laughs> to show off. <laughs> too much Dragon Ball Z. Too much, man. too much Dragon Ball going on. Yeah, if uh, if this is anybody's first episode, um, I do another podcast called The Dark Tales. You can just like horror stories that I write, and then anytime I'm done one, I do a narration of it as well. You can find it if you write on Dark Tales, Michael Caine. And I also write fiction on Wattpad. Uh, I'll put the link down in the description. I have like a, a finished fantasy book called Soulbonder and an ongoing serial called The Shadow Sisters. And I'm working on other stuff as well that I'll talk about that probably in a future episode. Yeah, Michael just has like 10 billion projects going on. <laughs> so much stuff. Like... <laughs> um, yeah, myself, I mentioned the last time that I have a YouTube channel where I'm going to do like a lot of um, different programming things. 
So I'm working on my first uh, series, um, which is going to be called Deep Sea Dive. So it's going to be a, basically a play on words. The, the C is the, the programming language C. If uh, Michael, you didn't get that, I know you're not programming. Uh, I know I know C sharp. Um, I do. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, so it's basically going to be um, kind of, uh, it's not really got a, con- like a fixed um, topic. It's going to really explore loads of different things C, but it's more like, I'm going to start with like looking at the standard library. So like this is the thing that people would like, the thing that comes with the language essentially. And like actually like how does it work underneath? Like how are the functions themselves that are provided to you by the language? Like how, are the, how do they work under the cover? So I'm going to start there. Um, so it's basically just like a dissection, a dissection of the language. Um, but I'm going to work on the whole, uh, for, I'm going to split it on these seasons. Of course, starting at season zero because we start around X and not zero. Um, of course, but um, it's I'm going to work on finish the whole thing um, to make sure you know it's kind of all links up together correctly. Each each episode's only going to be five minutes, um, but I'm going to work on the whole thing and I'm about halfway through it at the minute, and then I'm going to release it kind of one once a week then um, for like I think there's going to be about ten episodes, but um, I'll obviously let you know when that's happening. But yeah, that's I'm kind of working on that at the minute, but um, yeah, that should hopefully be done. Maybe not by the next podcast, but the one after that. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited to watch that because uh, I want to follow along. Nice. So, I, I yeah, like the title I as think, well. Like, even though C is an old language, like I, I think you can like learn so much about programming from it. Like, and that's yeah. why, why I'm, I, I'm, I'm, I would say I'm only about an intermediate level of C. Like, I wouldn't say I'm advanced because I don't actually use it in my day job. Um, so I only get to do it on these kind of like side projects. Um, but I'm hoping they myself learn stuff from it. But um. Yeah, it's just something quite interesting to work on while I'm still figuring out, you know, how to do production of making, like, videos and stuff. Yeah, I think it's good, good kind of practice. Do you like pointers? Do you? I love pointers. <laughs> actually, actually did teach um, the C-sharp language to uh, A-level students before, but I employed, like, the, the Marge Simpson tactic, where when she's teaching piano, she's like, I just have to stay one lesson ahead of the kid. <laughs> 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 I, I bet actually all teachers do that like yeah. they, they're like up the night before but do you think about like a primary school teacher like who's got like a obviously like a university degree or whatever they like probably like learn everything that you're going to teach over the next month and one night to the kids like yeah um and that, that piano reference i actually forgot to bring this up i've just started learning piano oh nice. um, so i actually learned guitar I, well i know guitar i've been learning guitar like eight years but i, I I think most guitarists have this issue that you just kind of like learn guitar chords and frets or uh, guitar, what do you call them? Uh, you know, the diagrams that show you the tabs. basically what sh- tabs, that's the word, um, guitar tabs. Um, so you don't actually learn much about music. You just kind of learn where to put your fingers and then like you don't even know what notes you're playing sometimes. Um, whereas piano, like I think most people that teach piano, they kind of teach it along with teaching music. Um, and obviously with YouTube and stuff these days it's so easy to like, learn any anything um, but I bought myself a keyboard it's just a 120 pound cheap one um, but um, yeah I'm learning piano um, so that's it's quite interesting it's it's actually quite difficult um, I think the thing with guitar is like you're playing notes with one hand and you're strumming with the other so it's kind of like they're almost you're, you're doing the same thing because like, you're obviously working on the same string or whatever but like they're kind of two independent things whereas on the keyboard you're actually playing a note with one hand and a note with the other hand or like a chord or whatever with different hands and you kind of like have to sync them up together and it's oh my god it's like yeah. my head busting <laughs> after doing like 10 minutes of practice 
It's something something I've always wanted to learn as well. I just I I wish I had the time for it. My plan is when the the daughter grows up a bit, we'll learn together. Nice. Yeah, that, that is a good idea. That's that's kind of something like you know, like kind of like teach your child how to do something while you're also yeah. teaching yourself. Um, well, basically, just what Michael said. Just all, <laughs> make sure you're just one step ahead of her. Um, but no, I'm I'm more doing it not just to learn a piano, although I've always again wanted to play like songs and you know that are piano heavy. I'm more doing it to kind of understand music. Um, again, I, I'm just kind of like a, a like I love learning like different programming languages, and I'm learning like actually Spanish now, so like different actual speaking languages and now I want to learn the music notational languages. I'm just like absolutely, you know, overwhelmed with the, the language the learning language, at the moment. Language. <laughs> okay, um, well, that's the end of my uh, hosting duties. I'm going to pass the reins over now to Michael, who will be um, doing the next pick and then hosting the next episode. So over to you, Michael. Okay, um, so... <clears throat> Uh, when we pass it on and we let the person pick, we I think at the beginning, before we started the podcast, we were like, oh, you just don't say anything about the book at all. But then as we've done it, we've kind of let it down to the person's picking's discretion on what to tell people. So the only only thing I want to tell you guys about this book is that it is not a, it is not a non-fiction book about rivers. So that's all... <laughs> But the book that I I want us to do next is called Rivers of London by Ben Aronovich. I hope I said his name correctly. Uh, It is read by, again, another another name I'm going to have difficulty with, uh, Kobna Holdbrook-Smith. So... Give me me that again. (laughs) It is Rivers of London, Ben Aronovich, and it is read by Kobna Holdbrook-Smith. One more time? <laughs> no, I refuse. <laughs> uh, I'm going to send on the cover to you guys here. Uh, but before I do that, actually, have either of you heard about this book or anything? I feel like the title definitely, you know, like resonated, like drew something in my mind there, like that I've, I've heard it before, but I, I can't, I don't, I don't know, I can't pen it down. Yeah. I think uh, Jonathan did ask me a vague information about what book I was doing next. He only asked me as a part of a series, and I said yes. So I want—I just want to mention that. So Stephen is on the same, so knows the same stuff that Jonathan does. This is part of a series. It's the first book in a series. So I'm going to send them the uh, the cover here. If you guys want to have a look to try and inform your guesses, but I don't think it's very. It's going to be Where very helpful. You, the, Where did you send it? put it in the audio on the, the WhatsApp. Do Mike do you have an explanation as well, Michael? Um, of what the the cover is for the the listener, the dear listener. I thought we I thought we usually do one of you guys because if I if I did it, then I might okay, I might project okay. yeah, go, I might you, project you something of the book to it. Right. So, Jesus, I don't know. It's a bit hard to. Um, <laughs> There's a lot going on here. <laughs> yeah, it looks it looks to me like basically a map of London because I can see there is like the River Thames. Um, however, the map is like built up of words. Um, I'm trying to read some of the words, but they're all quite small. I think the like there's one theater land, names, the big one, like Soho, maybe Trafalgar. I see. Oh yeah, I can I can see the biggest word there is theater land, but it seems to, I think it's a map of London. Um, because there is like, the the red river and you can see like bridges going over it. 
um, but they're all made of words. Um, so the whole map is constructed of words. Um, that's really kind of it. Um, everything else is, is, is just the offer and stuff like that. Um, do you, is there anything else you think, Stephen? There's, there seems to be some big red kind of well, speck my, um, in the middle. Yeah, there's like there's a grave there that's covered in blood, and mm, there's yeah, also actually, like, a good, good did show. you say there's like an X at the at the end of the river? Looks like treasure or something buried there. Oh, treasure! And then <laughs> like uh, there's a couple of different like things. There's like a like the grave with a spade. There's like a wizard's hat. There's like a baby, oh, yeah. and there's like a police helmet. Um, as like they're kind of like almost part of the map, but they're kind of like just sticking out of the edge. Like they're kind of like wee islands, almost just off the edge of the map. Um, <laughs> I'm just trying to drag this explanation <laughs> on so I can yeah. think about what what does it all mean. I think uh, I think that's a pretty good description. I uh, honestly probably better than what I could have done when I've read the book. So. Right, so I don't know, Stephen. Feel okay, like so first, so I'm gonna I'm gonna. Um, so obviously, like you said, yeah, the wizard's hat and the and the policeman's hat. I think it's going to be some sort of uh, wizard cops, and uh, they're investigating <laughs> murder, or for some reason. Right. Yeah. Okay. Mm. Uh, Jonathan. Yeah, I mean, I definitely think it's got murder in it because the color red of the the river is red, or well, it's kind of almost like an orange, but it's yeah, I would say like blood colored, um, and it's kind of like. You've almost got like the splatter in the middle, so it's like a blood splatter. And it seems like the grave is like that color as well. So definitely murder. Um, maybe that's the neat way it's river, as in rivers of blood and of London because it's set in London. Oh, the wizard and the police thing. I don't. I don't know about that. Hey, it sounds a bit, but out there. <laughs> but I guess that's what this guess is about. Uh, is that a wizard hat? It though? does look like it. Like that's the first thing. I, it yeah. does. Was that in the middle? Is that a guy in the middle actually? And a dog? That's like a wee babe. It's a wee no, babe, no, is it? A wee but thing. To the oh, left or... of that. I shouldn't have said that. I should have said that after you basically. I don't do honestly I don't really Oh like uh, it seems like a wee kind of man yeah, sticking up. A dog beside him as well, it looks like, or something. God I don't know, right? <laughs> I would go with it's some kind of dystopian form of London as well um, I'm trying to think what these words all like way it's the map of the words like what's all these words mean <laughs> yeah I'll just so I'll go with yeah, murder in London that's the rivers of blood basically that's that and something to do with um, a dystopian kind of world um, I'm not sure about the wizards I know there's a wizard's hat there but I just can't <laughs> put that together in my mind um, and there's a dead baby, so I'd say there's a dead baby in there somewhere. <laughs> okay. <laughs> right. So that's that's my that's my guess. Yeah, I'm gonna, no problem. I'm, I'm gonna stick with wizards, cops, and or alternatively, it's something to do with like cops investigating some occult type thing. If you'll allow okay. me two guesses, <laughs> <laughs> two sort of related guesses. We'll take the we'll stick the cult on top of the of the previous guess and just say that's part of it. <laughs> Okay, uh, yeah, I think, well, I'll, I'll let you know who was closer when we do the episode anyway, but I definitely know who, I already know who won. <laughs> <laughs> I can't wait to go and, and look at this description, man, <laughs> the crack this thing, have this and 
because <laughs> I'm sure it'll be compl- if Michael knows now, it's obviously going to be obvious. <laughs> yeah. But uh, um, uh. so yeah, if everybody, and this is the first book in a series, you say. This is the first book in a series. I think there are eight books in the series, and I think it wow. is it is a book that commonly gets uh, every now and then talk about a TV show being made for it. Uh, I think when was it written? Do you know, like when about? Um, I think this book. Uh, I'm not sure. I think it was 2010 ish, but that's a that's okay, kind so of a it's guess. Recent. It's recent, recent enough, probably two thousands. It's recent ish. Yeah. Oh, do you know what's okay. interesting? I googled the, the, the cover, right? And it's actually, the actual physical book has like an elongated cover. I think you sent in like the audiobook, you know, cover. I did photo. send in the audiobook cover, yeah. Nice. So the, the book has like, you, you can see there's two rivers in it. And they both lead oh. into that center two thing. Two rivers? There's two rivers of London. Oh my God, it's the yellow stream. <laughs> <laughs> what does it mean? Right. Anyway, um, guys, I just I just realized we didn't we didn't ask Jason if he wanted to do this episode. We I did. I did him. ask him. I did ask him. He, oh, he, did he, okay. he seemed well. I didn't say do you want to jump on. I, I you know when we were away, I, I brought it up a couple of times. He seemed a bit hesitant to be honest. Oh, okay. That's all right. I don't feel bad then because I thought he wanted to, and we didn't ask him then. Forgot. Well, I'm actually, keep us on for handy lesson day because. Yes. Uh, <laughs> We can make proof. This is the proof that you were concerned about him, but you also uh, completely forgot about him. <laughs> he's the I'm mysterious sure can... fourth member of the audiobook club. I'm sure yeah, I he's, can... he's special guest, Jason, coming on every now and again. <laughs> Greta was going to be our fourth member. We're just like, yeah, we're cursed. But it's like the, <laughs> it's like the uh, what you might call it, the dark arts teacher and the defense against the dark arts teacher. And <laughs> <laughs> it's jinxed. Yeah. Greta put a curse on it. She was like, if I can't do it, nobody can do it. Yeah, the fourth member will always be <laughs> cursed. But, uh, do you guys want to bring up anything else before we close this out? No, it's ten episodes on. That's, you know, a milestone. Yep. It's pretty good. Average podcast runs for six episodes. We're, we've nearly doubled Almost the average. Almost double. God. Okay. Yeah, I think there's enough books, but to keep us going, so... Yeah, we we'll think. We'll I mean, can't be that many. It's books. like Rick and Morty. Forty seasons, Morty. It's like <laughs> we'll, we'll never stop. Yeah, so that that is uh, just one more time for Stephen. That is Rivers of London by Ben Aronovich, and read by Kobna Holdbrook Smith. Thanks. <laughs> okay. Uh, goodbye, everyone. Yeah. Goodbye. Thanks for listening. We'll see you in the next one. Bye.